Hey there, Happy New Year. I'm Peter and this is my conversation with Dodi about the year just gone and the one to come. We have a first voice message from a listener. We talk COVID, Ukraine, our lives and the question that Dodi won't answer. Welcome to episode two, Cairo Calling. Hi everyone. What, what type of episode is this, Dodi? This is a year-end episode, right? End of 2022. Free, free for all. Free for all. Yeah. Excellent. Doji, there's, there's something that um, I listened to recently. It was the BBC World Service's 90th anniversary. So that's the kind of radio service that broadcasts around the world since 1932. And they had a really nice, they had a really nice way of launching it that I thought we could take inspiration from. Director General, Sir John Reith. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Broadcasting is a development with which the future must reckon and reckon seriously. Here is an instrument of almost incalculable importance. Every day, a series of programmes will be sent out to all parts of the empire, somewhere between five in the afternoon and midnight local time. Don't expect too much in the early days. The programmes will neither be very interesting nor very good. What do you think, Daddy? That's perfect, right? That's how it begins, right? Don't expect too much thing in the early days. <laughs> I thought I thought you were going to get me for the colonialism aspect of it as well. Um, it's quite interesting they were kind of exploring this new technology and new possibility of where it could where it could go and um yeah like us international ambitions i the funny thing is right i mean i i actually i was involved you know i observed the development of the podcast in at uh, its earliest stage like back 20 years ago and you know you can see because dave weiner i've known him for about 20 years uh so Yes, they say a bit about what that relationship is to the podcast. No, because I've, I've always followed him blogging. Uh, mm. When I was in the US, I bought his software, blogging software, and for this international organization called ISEC. And then I host one of the largest, you know, earliest blogging community. So I always uh, follow his blog. And then I think early in 2000, he was doing recording. Uh, he was doing experimentation uh, between... Dave Weiner and Adam Curry. Adam Curry is a, a MTV DJ, ex-MTV DJ based in the Netherlands. So the two of them, you know, just recording, calling each other, recording the voice. And then Adam developed the software called um, iPodcast, like a really primitive uh, version of a podcast software. And it just happens. Uh, I thought he was, he was also involved in the... Kind of what we call the RSS feed, the way that podcasts list out their episodes so oh, that yeah, anyone yeah. can access yeah. them regardless of like whether you're on it, it's not closed off like a Facebook or a Twitter yeah. or whatnot. It's you can access yeah. it through whatever software you want. Yeah, by that time, I mean, it's uh, Dev Weiner has created you know RSS 0.91, so this has become the, the news feed, right? This is a mechanism on how to distribute news headlines and content around the world, you know, using an open protocol. And in one day, he just add one element, 
which is like an attachment, right? Or you can this one extra small thing. So this new news feed can have you know like a, a link to download an MP3 file, and this simple invention just change everything. And then, and it's interesting, right? That podcast I think it just boom in the past like seven eight years, right? It becomes uh, very professionalized. You know, NPR goes into this. And a lot of you know startups, you know media company. Uh, so why did you wait twenty years to start one? Or is and maybe you started others before? I won't be jealous. No, I won't be very jealous. <laughs> I mean, you can tell me. No, I mean like it just not. Is that, I I think I haven't had a partner that you know because this thing takes two people, right? You need at least two pers- two people to start a podcast. So like at least at least three because you've got we need that sound editing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sound editing. We are very lucky that yeah. we have Tarek, yeah. which is a, pro- a great professional, right? Sound engineers that can help us edit and fix the the noises and improve the sound quality. But yeah, I didn't have that. And that's yeah. that's beautiful. I love this um, definite fueling fueling of the bromance. Um, <laughs> and it's very rare nowadays. Like if a big media company launched something, they wouldn't say. Um, like, don't expect these episodes to be very good. Yeah. They would say, like, this is the newest, best thing that you've ever heard. This will change your life. So it's it's a very interesting um, uh, advertising from the BBC that they're like, yeah. look, this will this will speak for itself. We're going to figure it out together. Yep, all of us. Yep, and this is one of the best amateur. Uh, what it the broadcasting, right? That people can, anyone can just do it, right? Now all the software and the communication tools are mature. You know, we are recording this over Zoom. <laughs> yeah, you didn't. Right. You didn't need the British Empire to um, <laughs> support your media media business to be able to reach everyone. Yeah. Um, Dodie, we got our first voicemail. All right. Um, Why are you so keen for people to send us voicemails? I think it's just you know. I want people to participate more in the productions of the uh, episodes, right? And I think voice voice, na- voice notes is is both personal and you know it includes our friends, more of our friends in an episode without being interviewed, you know, without dedicating time because you know anyone can record a voice note, you know, any, at any time. You don't have to schedule them. So, what them. prompts um, would you give our two listeners? I hope that they're still both with us, uh, what prompt would you give them to send something in? Well, I mean, like, let us know, let, let, let us know what you think about any episode, right? Any any good thoughts or any criti- criticism, any things that we can improve on, right? Tell us what you think about the music, the intros or the outros. You know, do you find the topic interesting or boring? You know, just let us know everything. I mean, like, right? Because this is, you know, it's a community art, right? We are doing this together. Yeah. So our first um our first voicemail guest is Anne. We both know Anne from Cairo. She's a dear friend since then gone to Germany with her family and she'll take it from there. Hello, dear Dodie, dear Peter. Uh sending you this voice note from very windy train station Middleburg. Um traveling to my family for Christmas, so waiting on the train, sending you this voice note. 
mm, really enjoyed listening to ep- episode zero. I thought to myself, if any people should make a podcast with their friends, it should be you guys. So I'm really happy you took on this task. Really amazed also how fast this ball started rolling. Ex- apologize. I apologize for Leo. Um, I had gathered some thoughts on on episode zero and like tips and everything, but I don't think you guys need them. Uh, I was really pleasantly surprised and I can't think of them anyway. Please don't use this in your podcast. Bye. You are on episode two. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, she, she felt that her voice might have been off topic, but it was really great. And then with cameo appearances, from baby Leo and sounded like husband Hisham as well for for a fragment there. Um, so, Dodi, I think you said that you wanted sort of life in transition. So what better transition than a first voicemail from a train station? Yeah, that's amazing. So speaking of transitions, Dodi wanted to do an end of one year, start of the next one. Um yeah, and let's let's reflect on some personal things and some ways the world is changing. Um, you tell me, Deji, um, what do you make of 2022? Well, I got COVID for the first time earlier this year, right? And that forced me into 17 days of in quarantine, right? Uh, when I because I, I returned to Indonesia in, in early January this year, and at that time, Omicron um, was just emerged, and Indonesia imposed this strict quarantine rule for, you know, any new arrival, we have to stay in the hotel for seven days. So I did that, you know, on my arrival. So I spent seven days in, you know, it's a, in a small hotel room in Jakarta, right, for seven days. Then I arrived to my island. Then 10 days after, Right, half of the house got infected, but thankfully, right, my mother wasn't, and you know, so all of us, you know, just evacuated to a hotel room. So that you know took me ten days. So that was right, and so I spent, you know, I had six, uh, I spent six weeks in Indonesia. Almost half of them were in the room, <laughs> right. So that, that was this the last time you'd been back in quite a while. Yeah, after two years too. Yeah, because I didn't go back during the height of the pandemic, right? But you know, six months after, you know, six months after that, everything just returned to normal as if nothing happened, right? All the quarantine were removed, and nobody checked about the vaccination anymore to, for traveling. Right? It is as if like, now, you know, you don't. At least in Indonesia, there is no COVID in terms of like people perception, right? Of course, there are people still get sick and everything, but if it's sort of policy or how we live, things has changed, right? And you can see this in China as well, right? Right now, right? They just dropped their zero COVID policy, in, you know, ten days ago. Right? It's it's such a sudden, swift move. Right before you, if one person, like ten people got sick, you have to quarantine the whole half of the city. Now, no, 
not anymore. You can just freely, you know, it's open. And of course, right now you see there, the hospital are overwhelmed. It's the same story that you see in all part of the world in the past two years. So, so that was one aspect of this year. Now I'm, I guess I'm glad we're speaking with COVID. It is one of the big differences. This year, I also got it in August. I think we should be a bit sort of careful about the saying going back to normal um, for a few reasons, because that really is referring to what governments are doing and social social regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, the kind of national responses seem to be like maybe vaccination. And then that depends that 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 differs a lot, but other mandates or lockdowns or forms of restriction used before are not being used, even ones that are quite low cost and sort of potentially helpful, like wearing masks. Yeah. But it's 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 a bit it's is much more mixed at the level of people, right? Because it's been two years that have really um changed changed people's lives in different ways um affected what what people do and how they're doing it and their priorities a lot of people have faced loss and difficulty and there are still lots of us that are following restrictions of one form or another right uh-huh. like less comfortable to go in crowds or i'm still i'm at the relatively strict Strict end of this, I'm still not doing like eating in restaurants and mm-hmm. whatnot. I'm either like eating with people at mine and I try and get them to test before um, or eating outside. I like, I guess one thing I'm looking forward to next year is hopefully to abandon that, uh, <laughs> abandon that and get more back to normal. But it's, um, it's it's shifted the world. I don't think that that's been fully acknowledged. So, like, it wasn't the things were normal even before the pandemic. <laughs> um, but somehow the, like, forgetting about of the pandemic uh, mm. sort of, yeah, but it puts us, puts us in these, these diverse positions. And also is like this quite sort of profound warning going forward that like, well, we can't, we're not necessarily dealing very well with our current pandemic, like let alone, <laughs> let alone if another one happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. um, like COVID might have made us more agile. Uh, if, if another, if another pandemic comes out, um, but it, it sends very mixed messages about that. Uh, obviously, it's also led to kind of creation of the vaccine technology, which is quite extraordinary and hopefully, hopefully will help uh, in many, many different types of disease. I think I often myself uh, find myself uh, the only person in any situation that still wear masks. I still have this KN95, you know, um, masks that I wear them in, 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 in Metro or in when I watch movies in the theater or in, you know, I still carry them. But but it's funny, you know. The, what I found the dif- the biggest difference is the solidarity of the earlier days are now gone, right? 
now it feels like okay, everybody you know is on their own. Right? If they got sick and you have really terrible you know symptom out of it, you know, yeah, malice, you know, sorry. Right, but that sense of solidarity, I think, is just pretty much like gone away. So that's unfortunate. No, it's, it's gone back to quite individualized, and that that's why I didn't the, the get back to normal. Um, then people can experience as like ah, oh, one's own individual risks or challenges aren't being recognized, right? Because yeah. it appears like um, everyone is sort of super active and doing these sort of uh, uh, intense indoor socializings and whatnot. Uh-huh. Um, while some people struggle with long COVID, while some people are still being very cautious, um, etc. Right. Yeah, and I think people just, it is probably fatigue as well, right? Uh, that's, you can see, I mean, I can understand that. But the risk for next year is probably higher because, you know, once this virus gone through China, we have no idea what kind of mutation is going to happen, right? This is all this. China is 1.6 billion petri dish right now, right? And and for many people in China, is is being you know is exposed to the virus for the first time. So we have no idea what's going to happen. Deji, that was not good news at <laughs> all. So that's quite an upsetting end to the segment on COVID. <laughs> But you are a connoisseur of upsetting news, and oh, no. obviously the the Ukraine war was um, a, a deep shock across across the world, and you've been you've been following very closely. I think you said that this year you mastered Ukrainian geography. Yeah, yeah. not by choice, right? Because you know, you just learn about these places where they are, depending on the news that you read, you know, you read uh, any of the day. But the thing is that you know, my flatmate, you know, uh, she's Ukrainian, right? So she stayed with me for three months uh, earlier last late last year, and then she was still in Cairo, right? She was still with me when the invasion happened, right? And that was the instant recognition that somebody that you know became a refugee overnight, right? Suddenly, you cannot return to your home because your home is being invaded, right? And she's actually based in, in Dnipro, which is more on the center of the, you know, the country, more to the, to the east, right? And it was, you know, it's subjected to the attacks on day one. Right, and see, so I will hear her, you know, make phone calls, international phone calls to her friends and family, and you hear this, you know, this snippets of you know early days uh, information about, oh, can we stay your in your apartment in the city because our home in the village have been bombed, have been shelled by the Russians, right? And as you know, that in the early days, in February and early March, you have no idea if Kiev is, is, was going to survive, right? So there was so much uncertainties and so much fear and pain in those early days. Um, so yeah, so for me, I have a, a direct secondhand experience to the war, you know, just by witnessing what happened to her and how she reacted um, 
to this you know, devastated right, event. But as you can see as well, right, all of us are experiencing, you know, the economic aftershock as well, right? I mean, like in Egypt, for example, right, the cost of goods and and food you know, are rising. You know, every 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 month you have, you know, like the the prices prices of you know rice and and meat goes up. You know, Daddy, I did I did want to ask a bit more about about those economic effects because I think it was um, the the reaction to the to the war as this seismic geopolitical event was made particularly felt in Western countries that sort of have this maybe identity with the Cold War, the affinity with a European neighbor and sort of that relationship with with Russia, I think, outside of Western countries um, and richer countries, a lot of the rest of the world is sort of trying to take a bit more of a non-aligned, non-aligned stance. But the economic effects, I heard it maybe first from friends in Egypt who were saying, I like my fruit seller is talking about the war in Ukraine, right? Like, why do why did they know about the war in Ukraine? So did you help me as someone that left Cairo in 2020 in the years that I was there from 2016? The pound already like devalued 50% just, just overnight in one um one month early, early in my stay. People have been sort of economically devastated. When I left, they were in a worse economic situation than when the Arab Spring started, poverty was increasing. Tell me about like how uh, Cairo and Egypt have been hit economically this year. Well, the most obvious sign is, of course, the devaluation of the currency, right? I think earlier this year, uh, we started around 15, 16, maybe 17 pound to a dollar, right? And then the pound consistently getting weaker to about 19 and then two months ago, right, I think six weeks ago, you know, that 19 become 24 and 25 at the official rate, right? And right now in the black market, uh, the, this is where you can actually gain the currencies and you can buy the currency. The rate is about between fluctuate between 30 to 35 pounds per dollar. So the official rate is not, you know, official rate, is the rate that you cannot get because you know there are not this real shortage of dollars in the official channel. It let be through the banks or official exchange rate. It's really difficult to obtain dollars and to exchange it. So that that sounds like another real value devaluation of another um, another sort of fifty percent even. Um, what is the impact in people's daily lives? People were already pretty stretched before this. Like work was work was scarce. How do you see people adapting to these circumstances or not adapting? I think there is a big, huge uh, psychological impact because suddenly maybe the same amount of money because there are subsidies on certain kind of like basic goods, right? The, the, the prices, some, some price of goods are still reasonable. But, right, when, 
you always compare yourself to others, right? And suddenly you say, okay, the Tala used to be 15 or 17. Now it's 30, 31. Suddenly you, you feel, you know, your wealth just gone. And if you're buying like any imported good, like say, whether it's a shampoo or an electric product or a medicine, like those prices are just going to be yeah. astro- astronomical. Some locally produced things will be a bit easier and then state subsidized things will be a, a different price, but it's kind of, it's a very different refraction of the economic effect. The, the most obvious one is, of course, the like, imported cat foods, right? Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Now, t- right. Tell us about um, the imported cat food that you get. I didn't know you got them imported imported food, though. Yeah, I thought you would get no, them. No, it was very common before the currency yeah. cars. Right. Right. Now I use local product. Yeah, because uh, during, because I mean, this currency drop doesn't happen overnight. It happened overnight. But before that, there is a restriction on the supply already, right? They, they took a process for three or four months where imports are not getting into the country. Right, so they were banned on cat foods import. So for three months, four months, there were no new supplies for you know cat foods. This is the most basic, you know, most obvious thing right? of non-subsidized goods that is actually impacted by this, you know, uh, currency squeeze. But um, yeah, it's the you can see the price of meat, right, or prices of going to restaurants, for example, right. My my standard barometer is always the standard. Uh, in my neighborhood, right? You can always, last year, I could buy half a chicken with rice for 45 pounds or 50 pounds, right? Now it's gone to 75. That's a 50% increase, right? You can just see from this, and oh, for example, now, right? You know, eggs and full sandwich is 7.5 pounds, right? Uh, last month, it was 7 pounds. And then I, I realized that two weeks ago, they added 50 piastas. Right. So that's, you know, this is the one that impacts, you know, the, the early, the, the breakfast, right? The food and, and the falafel and, and, you know, sandwiches. So this is, they continue to, like, erode at the middle class. A lot of sort of middle class are becoming lower middle class and whatnot. It will continue to erode uh, living standards. The number of people living in poverty um, will increase and poor people are just going to really be facing tougher and tougher decisions and having to make sacrifices in their life and nutrition and, and sort of quality of life. Yeah, I mean, those breakfast sandwiches is the most affordable food you can have, right, in the city, right? They they used to be you can get it for two pounds, you know, three pounds. Now those those no longer accessible, right? Or you can have the sandwiches smaller, right? Smaller sandwiches, like less filling, more empty as well. So you can, you can see this impacted, I mean, like, you know, because... Now, it really, it really puts into context, um, it, it's, 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 not, it's not great to compare, but in the UK, we're facing, like, year-on-year inflation of about 15, 15 to 20%. So that's, that's much less than... Um, what Egypt has faced in the past year. But for us, it is a big shock. We also had a government that decided to just sort of press like a bit of an alt control delete on the economy yeah. earlier yeah. in the year, which also led to a bit of a shock. So people like trying to buy mortgages and whatnot, there was a period that the banks were like, look, we're not going to lend you money. 
until we <laughs> until we see what's going on and and house house prices have taken taken a bit of a dive um for like the most sort of acute issue is obviously the energy energy bills which have mm-hmm. gone up a lot in the past year just as a comparison there when I came into this flat in 2020 I was paying about 100 pounds a month now I'm paying 220 pounds a month oh um, wow that's like and, double eh? and I locked in a good price like uh, in February yeah. before things yeah. went up even even more so it easily could have got to got to more than that obviously there are there are ways that I can energy save more than I do but there is a limit to that for for everyone and it it sort of you read about people having to make quite hard quite hard choices um the the people that I know directly are slightly more better off so they get to kind of uh turn it off um uh sort of out of, out of finesse more than necessity um but i've heard i haven't heard in the uk people putting it in terms of solidarity or whatnot i've heard from people in europe that oh like people are keeping their house their house colder and seeing it as solidarity for the mm-hmm. war or something or something like that um in england we are not sort of necessarily treating it as a very collective problem the government is assisting a little bit but not very not very much um or they or actually that they put a cap on on sort of maximum cost of kilowatt hour or Mm. the cost of units of gas which potentially costs them a huge amount of money so Mm. there is that solidarity but it's not a very progressive pro-poor uh solidarity which might just be sort of uh, better to give people cash, and then if they, if they want to spend it on energy, uh, they can, and if they yep. don't, then they won't. Rather than like giving a subsidy that actually ends ends in the energy ends in the energy company. But um, obviously, we've we've selected, and then the recent governments we we haven't selected, they've selected <laughs> themselves. Um, not exactly the worst people for the job. Maybe that was the previous lot, but um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 not. Uh, we're not necessarily helping ourselves as much as we could. So, what's the impact of the Queen passing passing away this year? Yeah, it was um, it was emotional for a lot of people um, in quite surprising ways. I was actually in in hospital recovering from an operation um, when there was the funeral, and you could kind of hear it. People, it wasn't played out loud in my ward, um, but you could kind of hear the service ringing through. And someone, one of my ward mates, was watching it on his personal TV. And there was a point that he's lying down and singing singing the national anthem. Uh, oh, wow. So that was quite that was quite moving. A moving view on it. Um, it's it's a really big change. I think that you you put it quite nicely on Facebook at the time that the this kind of Second World War figure, uh, one of the last second figures from mm-hmm. from the mid twentieth century has passed away. Um, obviously, one of the most recognisable figures 
around the world. I was really caught on all this pomp and circumstance. Um, for me, the monarchy is something, it seems quite benign, but any attention I give to it then makes me like like it less. So there was a mm-hmm. bit of that for her Jubilee celebrations in the summer, the 50th, the 50th thing, and someone, 50th year of her reign or something. I'm, uh, a friend of mine was like, well, why did they spend all that money on the funeral rather than saying, look, or, or to do a smaller thing, and they could have said, look, in memory of Queen Elizabeth, we're going to make sure no one goes cold this winter. Yeah? Okay. But there's been none There's been none of that. I think it showed a kind of extraordinary moment of British soft power that people mm-hmm. around the world were watching yep. us dress up and yep. march with horses and shoot guns. Yep. So quite, quite extraordinary. It's um, a spectacle. It was a spectacle. Though. Yeah, an but, event. Um, yeah. Performance. It was and performance. Yeah. E- even with Harry and Meghan's wedding, I was in Egypt when that happened, and I was like surprised that people around me in Egypt were way more interested in it <laughs> and likely to watch it than than I was. Um, so there's uh, there's that sort of reach of it, which which part of me thinks, oh, that's quite good that Britain has a way of sort of reaching. But then a friend asked, like, what is the reach used for? And unfortunately, we're not using it to be a better a better country ourselves. And we're not necessarily, it's not being projected in a way that necessarily helps anyone be be better at anything. Um, anything. Otherwise, um, I, I haven't, troubled myself to learn very much about King Charles. It's difficult to remember to say King Charles, but he did do a nice thing around the climate summit. He did a bit of a sort of a bit of a like uh, a side message to the prime minister that made the prime minister attend the summit in person. Otherwise he would have missed. Um, so maybe that's, maybe that's good. Um, Let's see. Let's see. So what else? I mean, what else do you want When you reflect on 2022, what else, I mean, from your side, how was the year for you? Yeah, so health issues were quite a big, um, very big, very big part of it for me. Um, in 2001, I fell and fractured my hip. That's sort of on top of an existing physical disability. So that makes the experience much harder. Um, I was recovering at the beginning of the year. Then about February and March, recovery stalled, and I was in pain. That was very dispiriting, and it wasn't clear why. And then it was a possibility that it was because my leg wasn't healing, um, that mm-hmm. the head of my femur was collapsing. That was very terrifying because the operation had left me kind of six weeks in hospital the year before last year year before this one and I was worried that it would be the same sort of setback and the same uh, difficulty again so it's quite terrifying um, I then had the hip replacement in September it went much better than I was worried about so much shorter time in hospital um, I mean short enough caught the Queen's Queen's funeral 
and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then since then, rehabilitation has been going um, like, like step by step in the right direction. It's quite a nice phase at the moment that I can do day to day activities to get stronger. So I don't need, I do have some targeted physio, but it's, it's a big impact on mental health. That's been quite a challenge. It's a big impact on mobility and how I get about and sort of the, the, the confidence and ability to travel. Mm -hmm. Uh And it, like the combination probably lead to quite a transition in my mobility that will really change the logistics of travel going forward. So it's kind of combined with the pandemic to be quite a turning point in my life. Um, it impacts, it impacts on everything. Like I, I work on disability issues, so I don't see, like I know, uh, and I know from, lots of sort of dear friends and comrades that you can have a very full life full of meaningful things and love and vocation and relationships and adventures and all all the things that give life meaning in very different physical or other conditions. I know that, but at the same time, I know that like, the more I fuck my body up, the less I'll be able to go to certain places that I love to go to, right? Mm-hmm. And the more it will complicate things uh, when I do, and it will make it harder to say that if I come back to Cairo to get around, to get around independently, or to visit someone's home, or to go to some places that I like to go to. There's plenty of other things to do, but it's um, it makes me feel quite disconnected um, from my previous life and really worry about that connection with people and places that are very important to me. What I remember the most with you was um, in the first six months of the pandemic. Was it the first year of the pandemic when you, while you were still in Cairo? Yeah. Right? We would arrange dinner. Yeah. Well, uh, from, you know, I just stay in your apartment through the window and everybody else sat outside. Yeah. That was that was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, and it felt it felt I don't know how it felt for you guys and looking at the inmate in the zoo, but um, <laughs> it, it it felt quite natural. It felt quite natural for me, and I think that that short term adaptation I'm quite good at. Okay. Um, I think the medium term the medium term adaptation is a bit is a bit harder, but. Um, uh, like you said at the beginning, we start a podcast rather than doing therapy. Sorry, actually, <laughs> the, the podcast is a complement to the therapy. My therapist is on a break uh, at the moment. Um, While you are away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> how, um, how have you have your head and your heart been this year? Well, I mean, it's, it's been a challenging year. Um, not directly on me. Right, my business partner, for example, he lost his uh, father-in-law in the most, you know, unjust mm. event. Right, uh, he was a doctor, mm. and he got hit by a, you know he got he was a victim of hit and run. He was just you know 
and then he stay in the ICU for about two or three years, uh, three months. Mm. And of course, during that process, right? I mean, there's up and down. You know, you go through this roller coaster of emotions, and because he has to go to the, you know, also right, go to the hospital every day, and then see the progress, and then the decline, and all that kind of stuff. So, right. So that's the impact. Um, but it's also one of my this is in terms of work, right? One of my brilliant and loyal, you know, like, like people that I value, like employee, you know, got, you know, like into deep depression that lasts for about a year. Mm. And now he's better, much better. But in the beginning of the year, right, we're going through this thing. And we are, we always full, you know, you always fully support him, right? But as you, as you know, right, uh, dealing with people in depression is not the easiest thing. And especially when it's dealing with work. I mean, forget about the personal aspect of it, but, you know, yeah. at work. So a lot of things that is pretty much like it doubles my workload. Plus, you know, making sure that he's okay and supporting the rest because he's you know, a senior member of the company. And it's just like, you don't just deal with the issue of like tasks being done, checkbox, 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 right? Because you also deal with the loss of leadership, mm. right? Aspect of, you know, a senior person that is respected by the rest of the company, right? So I have to double fill, fill that in. Uh, so yeah, in terms of, and also, I mean, like, I didn't, I lost my, not loss, I mean, my residency in Egypt expired in April, mm. right? And I, I has not been success, successfully regained that uh, residency yet. Mm. So what, what happened, it, it has a really practical uh, impact because it means that I cannot travel outside Cairo. I cannot just go, right, uh, to a hotel and then check in because that requires a valid, you know, a valid uh, visa, things like that. I cannot go to Sinai, which I love, right, to go, you know, to go to the beach. I cannot go to Siwa right, because there are checkpoints there. So I've pretty much limited myself in Cairo and, you know, in Ain Sukna twice since my arrival from Indonesia. Has the bureaucracy, bureaucracy has, has struck at your mobility since you got back? Yeah, right. So that's why, I mean, I've been telling everybody that who are willing, who were willing to, re- to listen that I've been very bored, right, this year. And that was because of that. That's quite, that's quite stressful. That's quite intense. That's quite a tense, um, a tense need, and I'm, I'm sure you must have tried lots of different ways to access the bureaucracy and whatnot. It was handled. I didn't deal it directly because I have, you know, I have staff and then uh, a really good law firm that deals with it. But still, right, you just have to wait, right? and hopefully this process will conclude in a few weeks. But let's see. Right. Now, good luck. Good luck. Send us a voicemail. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like you know, Manu Chow said, I've been a clandestino for the past. Yeah, I was gonna ask, like, this is in this country, would call you a legal immigrant, right? No, oh, yeah, no, out of status. Yes, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, illegal, illegal immigrant isn't an accepted term, it's irregular, yeah, irregular status, irregular yeah. out of status, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the way, yeah, yeah, good, good, but I'm sure your fake beard. And the fact you only go up after dark will be helping you. Yeah. I know. I blend with the population too. (laughs) (laughs) 
Great, great. Now that's that's nice, nice, uh, nice to hear that your appearance has changed so profoundly. Um, any cultural highlights or recommendations from from this year that kind of like you you remember at the end of the year? You should start. I, let me think about it. I haven't, I haven't had anything that it you know on my mind right now. So yeah, I was. Um, there's a book that I read, listened to earlier in the year that I've kind of thought about a lot since. It's called The Pink Line. Okay. It's The World's, World's Queer Frontiers by Mark Gifferson. Um, I don't, it's, it's a few years old, I think, but it's a really interesting journalistic account of LGBT communities. Um, around around the world, he does really in depth reporting um, from Russia to uh, Russia and Egypt and Brazil and Malawi and whatnot. He spends time with LGBT people through many years, and some of those countries I know quite well, and I could his, I could see that his immersion was quite convincing. It's it's something I've really thought about. I'm a bit jealous of it it's like one of those books that you read and you're like i would have loved to write something like that it's really it's a really amazing global view it was really spent with lots of time with people it really kind of like goes beyond the cliches about narratives like oh that the west is promoting lgbt issues or like this reactionary is like this and that's his, his the pink line summarizes um summarizes those tensions a little bit that uh-huh. as as well as uh more liberation and rights and, and acknowledgement and awareness around LGBT issues and LGBT people, you've also got more pushback and backlash. And that plays out within families, cities, countries, and internationally. He traces that really well. And yeah, I, I think about it a lot. It's, it's it's a bit long, but it's um, it's yeah. I found it very, very impressive, and I read it because I'm writing about disability issues from a global view. So I kind of wanted to see how other identity groups were were covered, and it was kind of really interesting to see some of the commonalities of what sort of global connections can do and how they'd help and some of the real differences that the direct um the direct violence that people face is um is 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 quite different from the 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 obstacles and exclusion that disabled people face their lgbt issues are much more contested um that's me a bit euphemistic much more contested and fought over. It showed how LGBT issues were really contested and fought over. So that was a, that was. It's not a book from this year, but it's a book that I really enjoyed, and that maybe stays with me the longest. Okay, uh, so for this year, I actually enjoyed. Uh, I finished two books. At, yeah, completely. That I really enjoy, but it was about cooking. Nice. Uh, as the experience of a New Yorker writer, uh, Bill Buford. Bill um, so he, Beaver. Bill uh, Buford. So the, the book was titled uh, Dirt. 
And this is about his experience moving his family uh, from New York to uh, Lyon, France. So he could, you know, learn how to become a French chef. And he didn't speak French. And it just tell his story about, you know, the culture of food in Lyon, which is known as the, you know, gastronomical capital of France. And, and he described the, his experience vividly about, you know, screwing up with his cooking and the people that he interacted with, all this you know, internship that he's taking. So he works in this restaurant, high-end restaurants for free. Right? He does have basic cooking skills, but, right, He's much older than the other. I think he was like. Oh, he wasn't. He wasn't a chef before. No, no, no. He was a. You know, he was like home cook. Right. And I think he became. You know, he joined the kitchen at the age of like forty, forty, like forty-five. I think about fifty. So he's not this. You know, this energetic young man in his twenty joining this kitchen now. But before this book, he wrote also a book. Uh, one decade ago, it's called Heat which is about, he covered about Mario Batelli. I think you heard about this uh, celebrity chef. Right. Mario Batelli, uh, he's disgraced right now because of sexual harassment <laughs> despite the past few years, just, you know. Right. But this book covered him, uh, him, you know, also working in the kitchen with him. So this, this 10 years ago, this more about, you know, his uh, experience in Italian way of cooking. So these two books, right, really contrast Right. So, so what inspired you it was the, the recipes and the cooking or the adventure that this guy went on or there were no recipes in the in the book. Right. It's not a cooking book. But I just love that he treat uh cooking and food and the culture all together seriously. Right. And he's willing to just you know throw himself like okay. I am you know, because I I'm like him, I'm home cook as well, right? And I really realized the level of a limitation and being able to see people you know in the profession that is dedicated you know to perfection how to create this amazing flavor and experience right it's just amazing did it inspire you to do something different in the way you cook or cook or host or well it did um well, I did buy a couple of more gadgets. <laughs> Good, of that. yeah, yeah. But got, got a new knife, you know, a new apron, this this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it does, yeah, it helped me to take... Did that make a difference? It does. Amazing. Like a good, a, a good knife, really make, you know... And a good, a good apron? A good apron, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. It feels like a uniform, so... Say so you're going into next year... With a new cooking uniform and a, and a sharp knife, what else do we uh, tell me about? Kind of what you're looking looking forward to, or thinking about, or how you see how you see the next year. Well, this podcast started this month, right? Right. So that's yeah. This is practically project for next year. All right. That is exciting. Like exploring this, you know, medium with everybody, right? Whether with listeners or with participants or maybe voice notes, right? I've been thinking about this, you know, Valentine's edition. I don't know why. It keeps you know, in my in my in my head, right? Right. Let's do, you know, a Valentine's edition. And we just consist of just like voice notes, right? About people talking, you know. 
whether they want to send messages to their loved ones, whether it's about heartbreaks, anything. And just send out voice notes, right? Get everybody engaged. Uh, let's have a two minutes conversation, two minutes notes, three minutes, whatever, or a poem, whatever. And you can just put them together and then you know, publish it on. So, Diddy, you're making a podcast so everyone else can talk about their feelings. Why not? Yes, yeah, like fun, you don't right? want to talk about your own feelings, but yeah, good, it's good. It'll be fun, right? Just to, and you know, what inspired to... you? Why why Valentine's Day? Like what inspired you? What inspired you about love? No, because it's accessible. The day is accessible uh-huh. to people, right? Valentine's Day, you know, it's not religious, you know, it's kind of fun, it's kind of corny, and everybody has opinion on this thing, right? Whether, you know. For, for, for many things. Like some people hate this, everybody loves it. Some people hate this, you know, corniness. But in, in Egypt, it's kind of Eid al-Hob, like day of love, but it's taken beyond just romantic love and you can kind of celebrate. Yeah. Celebrate sort of friendship, friendship, love and whatnot. Yeah. Like that movie, Love Actually, you know, that, that horrible movie, but that's the concept, right? Will you be, will you be submitting a, a voice note for the suggestion? I'll definitely participate, yeah. Amazing. Maybe everybody has their own unique experiences, right? But, you know, just two notes, you know. Maybe just like a 30 seconds note, you know. Like, I love you to your friends or partners, right? Just things like that. I, I like the idea. I think you're right that it is quite an international thing. And then each each country and person has a different take on that. So it is quite uh, accessible and universal. And it'll be really interesting one one just sort of linguistic thing that when I was in Egypt, I noticed that in Egypt, they you can borrow in Arabic the English word crush, yeah? Mm-hmm. And in yeah. Brazilian Portuguese, you can also borrow into Brazilian Portuguese yeah. the word crush. Yeah. And I saw like sort of quite, because I have both on my Facebook feed, I sort of saw both sides kind of complaining about it because they're like, look, we've got lots of other ways yeah, yeah. to say this, right? <laughs> we don't, yeah, 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 yeah. We don't yeah. need the English word crush. Like in Arabic, you always see these kind of things shared of like the 15 words for different types of love <laughs> and, and blah, blah, blah. It's always kind of quite sort of um, like modern standard Arabic rather than the sort of dialectical dialectical forms. But I found that kind of really interesting, really interesting borrowings. No, that's, that's great. You will be the... You'll be the doctor, the doctor of love, Jody. With your and you're wearing, you're wearing your new apron. You've got your sharp knife to help us, help us get through whatever love, love throws at us. But the thing is, right? We don't have to accept that the, the first note. We don't have limit that the first note needs to be in English. It could be whatever language that you prefer. You know what? What? Yeah. What language that you expressed it, right? whether it's Arabic or French or Brazilian or Indonesian or Chinese, you know, we can just mix it up. So what is um, what is the kind of status of your heart going into next year? Is this a, uh, is this a trap question? Well, I don't see why I'd be trapped, really. All right. No, I'm good. Good, good. That's a short answer, Jody. Well, my heart is on the man, let's just say. It was crushed this year. <laughs> right. Your heart is what now? It's on the man. That's what I'm saying. On demand. On what does that, what does that on, mean? No, on, on the man. On the man. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you are you doing rehab like I'm doing for my leg? Yeah, I'm doing rehab, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I will look forward to hearing it 
look, look forward to hearing about it in the in the February edition. I'm sure listeners would want me to ask about how it was crushed, but I, I'm not sure if uh, you're you're comfortable to go there. No, we're not going there. They're <laughs> not going there. So listeners, our, t- our two listeners, I'm sure they will also feel crushed by that. But that I did, I mean, just out of out of accountability to them, Dodie, I had to ask. Oh, well, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. No, we are, we are down to one listener now. We're <laughs> down to one. Well, I'm sure they will be very, they will have been very interested and that will make the disappointment even more profound. Even <laughs> yeah, more profound, Dodie. Yeah. And this, this will be, that will get them to turn off. Like turn off one hundred percent of the audience is disappointed. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it's very rare that podcasts see such such clear figures. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was a, that's. I'm I'm looking forward to that February edition. Yeah. Um, another thing is at work. It looks like how we are moving to downtown. Oh wow! Like my office, it looks like we're gonna. You know, we are searching right now for like some massive office in this classical building, French or Italian building in downtown. So, and why? Uh, why? I think it, we've we've worked remotely, switched to remote work for the past two years, right? Almost three years now, uh, two years, yeah. And I I think we you know it makes things more efficient, but we kind of lost of this kind of like social elements of work. And you know that in Egypt is very social. You know, Egyptians are very social animals, right? The, the culture is very social. People love to meet and chat, you know, before they start working and this kind of like uh, communal work, uh, communal bonding. And so yeah, and we've grown to, uh, quite a bit. And our office um, that we had, you know, for the past five years, I mean, like cannot accommodate the number of people that we need to have in the same place anymore. And so we're just, you know, and we're finding, you know, there are are actually quite, you know, spacious apartments. And we are talking about 900 square meters, like a thousand square meters of place, right? So maybe we'll be able to to build, you know, some libraries or something, things like that. You know, it's kind of classic three and a half meters, you know, old French and Italian building. Yeah, like, GD, like the Facebook and the Google approach, they've got ping pong tables and like vending machines with free food nah, nah, and little sort of bean bags to lie down on. No, bean bags, it's not going to be that, right? I think we're going to be like, you know, downtown cafe inside the coffees. Nice. Right? This kind of like chairs, you know, like wooden chairs and small nice. things like that and libraries. Let's see. That's that, 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 that beautiful, up. and I will. Um, let's see if through next year I can hijack some of our podcasts, which I'm also also looking forward to. Um, or then maybe for Valentine's Day edition, either I will have to um, sort of create some love interests or use my new fiction writing as as source. Source for my own submission, but a bit of creative writing never, never, no. never hurt anyone. Um, but I hope I'll hijack the podcast as well for your guidance on entrepreneurial issues. Um, as I think that it's this year that I started uh, realizing I was doing something entrepreneurial, 
trying to Public start. Yeah. Yeah, trying yeah. to try, yeah, exactly. Trying to trying to start something with more ambitions that far far outreach the actual the actual reality, but taking a media empire, the new world, <laughs> Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, yes, it, uh, yeah. that that you, you're making fun of of no, the way I'm that not making fun of you. No, that a friend, I mean, a friend, a friend put it. Um, I don't know if you know uh, Ira Glass in the States, but he's kind of much more his OG yeah. OG podcaster with This American Life. Yeah, he he made he made a. Uh, a radio show that really influenced the way people kind of explore a certain kind of issue and really influenced podcasting and that is, I mean, it's, it's also absurdly ambitious for I am, but I like my dream is to influence a little bit the way we write about disability issues and the way we tell disability around the world. And to realize this dream, I need to make it more than just me, Right. So then I need like the entrepreneurial thing to get funding so that, I mean, I can live a fine life. I mean, sorry, what? So that I can get more people involved in the project so I can put more time into it. Um, so we can yeah. learn to create different content and we can deliver it to people. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of, it's very minor compared to your own thing, but I'm facing a lot of the entrepreneurial stumbling blocks of like, how do you grow and how do you deliver and how do you kind of convince other people of your idea? Um, so that I'm very, I'm very excited about uh, for for next year. And um, yeah, I was sort of uh, see get, get look look forward look forward to your advice on it. Um, oh, um, don't ask for me for advice. I can tell you what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that counts. That counts. Yeah, yeah that counts. I, I, mean, yeah. I, I have a long list of failures in my resume. Yeah. So that, that's why I mean, I'm not hireable at all. Right? I will have like, you know, six pages of fa- failures in my resume. So yeah, don't do this, don't do that. Yeah, right? no, someone said you should make a failure CV once just to kind of remind remind yourself. No, but then words of you remain a cautionary tale, Dodie. And that is, <laughs> that is very... That is very valuable. Um, anything. That's my only contribution to the world. <laughs> yeah, well, daily, if you like, I mean, the the range of things that you're happy to fail at uh, sets, sets an example, an example for us all. Um, what else? Anything like? Um, I'll be honest. I'm a bit worried about the state of the world going into the next year. I'm, I'm worried about the this uh this economic situation and it's during like it's its effects will kind of domino out in the way they affect people's lives and that the way then people change change their behavior as a result um um sort of obviously i think we're all we're all concerned about climate change but these interactions of how the world is changing um is quite is quite a worrying backdrop that I'm that make me pretty sort of like pessimistic underneath the day to day of things that are changing. Um, I don't know if you have a more uh, optimistic uh, optimistic view or anything uh, that can sort of 
uh, uplift us a little bit to close out. I think the war in Ukraine will resolve itself next year, one way or another. So either through, um, through diplomacy or through kinetic move and the war itself. So I think like end of you know, summer, fall, that's, that's it. So that's potentially very good news. But also, I mean, that's, that might just be another phrase for bad news. No, it will change. I mean, like the war will end. The war will end. Uh, but what happened after that is, of course, who knows, right? Uh, because as you know from history, right, what happened after the war has a lot of impacts, you know, how these things turn, right? And what's the situation in Russia and in Ukraine? That's going to be interesting to watch. And I don't think anyone can predict that. Uh, but yeah, regarding the war, I, I have pretty high confidence that it's going to resolve. Um, other than that, I mean, I, I expect the economy in, 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 in Egypt is going to get worse still. Right? The situation is not going to improve. Uh, people are going to suffer economically, uh, continues, continue. Um, but other than that, I mean, like, you can see sufferings in, in, in China right now, right? Because they're opening their economy, you know? They are dropping the quarantine requirement until next week, if I'm not mistaken, right? You can soon you'll be able to visit China without quarantine, right? So they're opening the country. Usually that will be good for global economy, right? At the expense of vulnerable people in China, right? That's that's the bargain now, right? So, and I think the, their government just says, look, We've been trying to do zero COVID two years, right? This is as far as we can go. Now, right, this is it. And I think economically, we'll, um, we'll have a better global economy next year, probably, in some aspect. Uh, but that's it. I mean, like, that's, that's as far as I know. Um, that wasn't very optimistic, um, but it, that, that's fair enough. Other things that you um like like we should we should try and end on sort of more uplifting thing. Um I'm looking forward to a few different things like the the work thing I'm quite excited about. Um hopefully my rehab continues through through the next year and it is kind of in six yeah. six to twelve months that I'll see where it's landing so that is like, but could be bad, could be good news, uh, inshallah. Um, inshallah. Uh, some friends invited me to officiate at the wedding, so good luck to them. <laughs> oh, wow, where is it going to be? It's, it's going to be in, in Cornwall. Um, so it's, it's, it's a close, uh, a close friend is getting married. Um, and hey. it's real, a real honor to be able to try like put put words on it uh, as they do. That could be your Valentine's voice notes. Uh. Yeah, that's later in the year. Let, yeah, let's see if I've I've thought anything about the meaning of marriage or, or love or whatnot. We had some interesting conversations. Um, I have a godson who became one this year. It's been like fantastic to see how he's grown up. I'm really looking forward to see how he grows, how he grows more. Um, Looking forward to see where we get with this podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's quite, I think we're both quite excited. 
Yeah. Um, and thanks to Anne and uh, I think Anne might be the last listener. Uh, first person last. Um, thanks to Anne and all, all, all the Anne's that are giving us giving us support. Um, how about you go tell us tell us some positive things uh, to kind of maybe close out. Well, next year I will have my passport and residency again. Amazing. So even so that I can go back traveling. Right. Where will be you get the passport? Like, what, where's the next place you go? First thing I'll go, I'll go to Siwa. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. And you know what happened? The point in that, not all of the audience will know about Siwa, but let's save that to a different episode. It's a, it's a magical, yeah, it's a magical place, and we will uh, talk more about that for sure. They're opening places. They have been there was close in the past eight years, so there are new places to discover. So it's pretty exciting. Um, yeah, I think my ability to travel again, I, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully next year. I'll go to Europe. I'll stop by UK maybe, but I can't from hey, Amazing. Amazing. Good. Now do some, do some live recording. Um, yeah. I want to go to Portugal. I yeah. want to go to Portugal. Yeah. yeah. I've, 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 I've spent some time in work. So I'm, I know my Bomgia to Boatar. You spent some some time in what? <laughs> some time in Duolingo for Amazing. my Portuguese. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Um, but yeah, that's it. No, but I hope we all find our oases in the desert of next year. I think that's the that's the message. That's the message, yep. Yeah. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Dodie. Thanks so much. Happy New Year. Many thanks to our remaining listener. Please send us more voice messages. You can find the show on cairocalling.substack.com. This conversation was between me and co-host Odie. We spoke on 27th of December, 2022. Cameo voice message from Anne. Production and sound design is by Tarek. Tarek also fixes the broken recordings we give him. Creative advice from Raf. <laughs>